Thank you for tuning in at Ravenna Assembly of God. We hope you enjoy this message and are blessed from it. If you want to tune in to more messages, log on to RavennaAG.com and search under the media tab. Thank you and God bless. At that very question, whenever people answer the question, who is Jesus? And we're going to be looking at, uh, for this week and next week, um, certain questions that Jesus Jesus asked. Okay, so before we get there, um, some some new faces I see. If you don't know who I am, my name is Joe Jay, and I'm uh, the youth pastor here. And um, Pastor Gary um, graciously said, hey, this is, these are the dates I'm gone. Go ahead and uh, prepare. Get ready. And uh, it's very gracious to share the pulpit whenever we have moments like this. And for me, I'm able to expand and to be able to learn and be able to learn under Pastor Gary. Um, any opportunity that you, you, you have to fill to speak at the pulpit uh, is a blessing. So um, we have been here, my wife and I, Lydia, let me see where she's at, over there. We've been here over four years, which is incredible. Um, we've, um, it just seemed like it was yesterday, honestly. Yeah, yeah, over four years, and um We've seen uh, we've seen so much change. We've seen obviously what happened last year with COVID. But um, while we've been here, we've also had one of our girls born here, and we're raising our girls. And now we have a fourth, second, and a kindergartner. It's going to start tomorrow. Oh my goodness! And then we have a one and a half year old who is running everywhere and getting into mischief and pulling toilet paper all the way into the next room and. You wouldn't, you would not believe. I mean, I'm sure you guys know. Um, I'm like, what is that on the wall? Do I want to know? No, I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, well, school has started for a lot of us. Some of us, uh, it's coming up. Falls around the corner, and before you know it, the leaves are gonna start turning colors. And oh yeah, how many of you guys really you love summer? Summer is your this is your jam right here. How many of you guys like the cold? I like, uh, for me, I like the cool. I like the, you know, football starting and, and the, the leaves turning. That's, if fall was year-round, I'd be good. A couple hot days maybe in the summer, jump in the pool, but then I'm good. I'm ready for fall. But, hey, with school starting, I want to give you guys, with this topic that we're introducing, a pop quiz. You guys ready for a pop quiz? How many of you guys have seen the show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? <laughs> you guys are getting ready to, to be, be quizzed right here. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get there somewhere, don't you worry. But uh, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? We're going to look at some quick questions to test your knowledge, all right? Number one. Question number one. Are you ready? No, you're not ready. Okay, here we go. Question number one. A hexagon has how many sides? Four, three, six, or eight? Six. You are correct. Six. Very good. Number two. Number two. Which U.S. president commissioned the Lewis and Clark expedition? Washington, Adams, Jefferson, or Teddy Roosevelt? I heard, yep. Answer is Thomas Jefferson. If you're a history nerd like me, the answer is a clue is hidden in the question with 1803. All right, number three. 
what is, this is English literature, what is the main character in a story called? Protagonist, antagonist, confidant, or sidekick? How many of you guys say A? How many of you guys say B? <laughs> okay, you, you got it. Protagonist, A. All right, some world geography. A couple more questions. World geography. What is the longest river in the world? Some of you guys are going to be Googling this right now. Don't cheat. Nile River, Mississippi, Ohio, or Missouri? A. Yep. Nile River. You got it. Last one. Th- a science question. What species can live on both water and land? Amphibians, reptiles, mammals, or birds? You got it. Amphibians. Not bad. You guys are getting ready back to go back to school? Fifth grade? How many of you guys know that we never stop learning? We never stop learning. Whether um, you just barely you know, finished high school or whether you have a doctorate, all, everywhere in between, wherever, you never stop learning. And God had, has always, he always has something to teach us. I want you to remember just for a moment who your favorite teacher was in school. I want you to think about it just for a second. I want you to answer the question in your head. Why was that person your favorite teacher? For me, it was Mr. Jim Fleming in AP U.S. History 11th grade. And I loved, loved this guy because he was a natural storyteller. And he wasn't a monotone kind of storyteller. He would he would get up, he'd open his book, and he'd just tell stories. And he'd just kind of weave in these questions that you would have to you'd have to answer. Natural storytellers, that's what hooked me onto history, onto to seeking out certain answers. But there is a certain form, a certain art of asking questions. How many know that we learn a lot whenever somebody poses us a tough question and we have to search for the answer? We have to search for it. We continually learn, not just from answering questions, not just for just knowledge's sake, not just for having information, but to truly know the world around us, to know why, how God made us and why he made us. And, and that makes, it leads us to this point this morning what questions did Jesus ask? You look through the Gospels, and there was never a moment wasted by Jesus. But he would ask certain questions for a point. What questions did Jesus ask? There were certain times that the disciples, they had to, they had to learn the hard way. Right? They, had, they had to be corrected by Jesus. They wanted to do things a certain way, and Jesus maintained his mission and his vision. But what questions did Jesus ask, and why did he ask them? So over the next couple of weeks, what I want you to do, kind of your homework assignment, look through the Gospels, whether your daily reading or your daily devotion, and make sure you pick up on certain questions that Jesus asked. All right? Some questions were pretty straightforward, but there were always... There's always something that he was trying to point, point out for the person that he was asking the question to. We're going to look at this question in Matthew chapter 16 first, and we're going to see where Jesus goes with it. We're going to see why he asked this question. 
So if you have your Bibles with me, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, we're going to start in verse 13. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. And it says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, question one, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, question two, who do you say that I am? And Simon Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We're going to pause it right there. We see from this passage already, he's asking two questions. Two questions. Who do people say that the son of man is? And then who do you say that I am? Let's look at this passage here. Let's look at the, the background. What's what's happening around? Anytime you look at a passage of Scripture, before you make the jump to say this is what it means, look at the context. Look at what's happening around, what's happening in the passage there. Caesarea Philippi. First thing, first note to kind of highlight. It's a city 25 miles north of Galilee. It's a Roman city that had at that time a mostly Syrian and a Greek population. The Roman history states that the, the name of the city had recently been changed. It used to be called Panius, and now it was changed to Caesarea Philippi. The name of the city was changed by Philip the Tetrarch to commemorate Caesar and himself. <laughs> Be nice to, to name a city after yourself. Hey, I'm the city. This is what it's going to be called. Okay. All right. That's what it's going to be called. Philip the Tetrarch, one of Herod the Great's sons, uh, was commissioned this land, and he said, okay, we're going to name it Caesarea after Caesar, Philippi after myself. This city was north of the Sea of Galilee, and at that time it had been a center of Greek, of worship, of worship to uh, the pagan god Baal, and also the Greek god Pan, and then also a Roman worship of Caesar himself. Pan in the Greek mythology was considered to be the universal god. And there were so many pagan temples and worshipers all around this area. And it's in this backdrop that Jesus, in this city, asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Around all these other temples and worshipers, they're worshiping other gods, they're doing their own thing. He asks them, who, does, who do they say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus at this point, all throughout the Gospels, if you remember, are these questions, let me ask you this, are these questions that he's asking because he doesn't know? Or because he's trying to get somewhere? Get somewhere, yeah. We'll see all throughout that, that Jesus, he always has something in mind when it came to the question. So your first point on your, your outline here is that Jesus asked questions to draw something out. To draw something out, not because he didn't know. It's not because he didn't know. Jesus knew what the thoughts of men were. 
Look at these verses with me earlier in the Gospels. In John chapter 2, if you remember, Jesus is clearing out the temple courts. He's performing many signs among them. He's, it's crazy, look, a passage actually. He makes this, this whip and he's, he's, he's getting people out of the temple saying, you've made this place, um, it, it's, it's blasphemy as you made this place a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. And at this point in John chapter 2, Jesus did not entrust, give his identity to people because he knew their thoughts. John chapter 2, verse 24 says, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. He's talking about the crowd. To them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Jesus knew what was going on, right? Another example, Mark chapter 2. Jesus is getting this criticism from the Pharisees, from the teachers of the law, because he just healed this paralyzed man. He healed him, and then he said, son, your, your, your sins are forgiven. And then now comes the chatter. Are you kidding me? How could he say that? Look what it says, Mark chapter 2, verse 6. And some teachers of the law, they were sitting there, and they, they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And I love the pivot right here, verse 8. Immediately, <laughs> Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? You ever have that moment, especially for, uh, for the mothers in the house, that you know that your kid is doing something wrong? Even It's like you have that, that third eye, eyes in the back of your head. You just know something's going on. Jesus not only knew, he could sense stuff, obviously the presence of what was going on. He knew their thoughts. He knew what his mission was. He knew there were, what they were thinking. Jesus asked these disciples, though, who do people say that I am? It's not because he didn't know. He was drawing something out. This, these 12 men, this was one of their final exams. Right in the in the schoolhouse, the teacher said, posed a question, threw it out, and now they have to answer the question. Here comes the question again. This is their moment. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Let's look again. Look at again at their their response. Verse fourteen of Matthew sixteen, the disciples said, "Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets." And I love this part of, of the passage because, again, it's not because Jesus didn't know. He's not like a politician trying to get a poll, you know. So what, what are people thinking about me? How are they thinking about this issue? He's not getting a pulse of the people because he's insecure. He's wanting them to affirm something inside of them. He's leading them somewhere. But the disciples have to respond. But how many of you know, how many of you, you've been asked a question before that your answer might be really awkward to respond to? For example, whenever um, your spouse or someone that you know, hi, how do I look in this? Mm, you have to temper it kind of, right? To temper your response. It's like a teacher calling on you to answer a problem 
on a homework assignment that you did not do, and you get the lucky one, get called out. Oh, you know, well, see, what had happened was um, uh, the dog ate it, and, um, you know, my laptop just had a virus or whatever. I just didn't do it. Or if your boss asks, asks you a question that you know may embarrass him or wh whatever it may be, the disciples here, they answered, if you look a little deeper, they answered with a lot of tact. How many of you know someone that has a great filter when it comes to answering questions? How many of you guys know someone who has no filter when it comes, there you go. <laughs> the disciples here, they had a filter because they knew that people in the crowd, they know, they knew then people gave him pretty negative reviews. In the Gospels, Jesus was called a wine-bibber, a glutton, a blasphemer, a false prophet. And my, one of the craziest ones, I think, John chapter 10, Jesus is called a madman. Pharisees, teachers of the law, the Sadducees, people in the crowd, they called him pretty crazy things. That's not what the disciples responded with. They answered, some call you John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. They answered with true chatter and confessions, and they had, they had witnessed Jesus' miracles before. They were echoing the messianic prophecies of the prophets before. For instance, in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So again, he's not giving a public opinion poll. He's drawing something out. He then pivots quickly to them and says, okay, that's what people say. Who do you say that I am? This is where Jesus, he flips the idea from really just, maybe just a pulse from the crowd to the direct question that we have to answer today. Who do I say that he is? What are we supposed to do? Before we even answer that question, before the disciples answer that question, what do we have to do? Number one, we have to clear through what the world says and affirm who he is. Clear through what the world says and affirm who he is. You remember the video from before, those, uh, the interviewer talking to people on the streets in New York City and they asked them that simple question, who is Jesus? Many people, of course, they know oh, he's a great leader. He's a, he's a moral thinker. He's, he's a great teacher. Um, he's a selfless man. It's interesting, from a recent Barna Group survey, 92% of Americans believe that Jesus Christ existed. He was a man. But only 56% believe that he was the Son of God. So how do we help people connect the dots? Okay, he existed. Okay, yeah. But was he the son of God? A great teacher, of course, someone who led a movement, obviously. But people are missing out on the identity of Jesus. He is their Lord. If they invite him in, he is their Lord and Savior. But church, how many of you know that Jesus is still the most influential person in all of human history. He still is. 
He's still the most influential person in all human history. John Ortberg writes an amazing book called Who Is This Man? The Unpredictable Impact of the un, an Inescapable Jesus. And in it, he writes about how Jesus has impacted every single part of our world today. His impact is immense and non-accidental. From our calendar, to healthcare, to education, to government, to music, to art, all throughout civilizations in the last 20 centuries, Jesus Christ of Nazareth is still the most influential person. Amen? He still, he still is. Yale historian Pelican, he wrote this. I love this quote. He says, regardless of what anybody personally thinks or believes, Jesus of Nazareth has been the most dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of magnet to pull out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of Jesus' name, how much of history would be left? So church, for a lot of people, it's not the question that needs to be answered, was Jesus real? The question is, then, who, who do they say he is? What's his true identity? How do we help people connect the dots, just like the people in the video, that may believe he's a man, he was a great leader, a teacher, but is he the son of God? What are we supposed to do? When we share our faith, church, we need to point to Jesus first. When we share our faith, we point to Jesus first. What does Hebrews 12, 2 say, remember? To fix your eyes on who? On the church? On other people around us? Fix your eyes on Jesus, on him, the author and perfecter, the pioneer of our faith. You remember the story of, of Lydia from Acts chapter 16. Paul's going around in Macedonia. He's traveling. He's preaching. And, on, and Acts chapter 16, verse 13, it says that Paul and, and Silas at this point, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down. We began to speak to the women that had gathered there. One of them that was listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, named Lydia, dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So, so often, church, we get to, whenever we're sharing our faith, we're just having a conversation, we're, we're having to, we have to try to explain um, all the black eyes of the church or through history, things that people have been hurt by through, through the body of Christ. I may know that we're, we're Jesus' ambassadors. We're his ambassadors. We are not Christ. We are not the one that moves upon people's hearts. God uses us to reach others. Only one lived a perfect life. Only one suffered and died for our sins so that all of mankind can be redeemed to God. Only one. We need to point people 
to him. Does this mean, though, that people are not attracted to the church or attracted to the people of God? No. How many of you, just by a show of hands, have been impacted by someone in the church by their kindness or their love? All of us. That's how God works, right? That's the fruit of the Spirit working. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, all that going through a believer and reaching somebody for Christ. We are to point people, though, to Jesus, and as he uses us, we can reach the world. But this is where the rubber meets the road, church. For a lot of us, we say, okay, I, I understand that. I, I know I'm supposed to point people to Jesus. But whenever it comes down to it, church, Jesus' identity, he's not just our Savior. He has to be our Lord as well. How many know that to be true? Jesus cannot be just your Savior. He must be your Lord as well. We see that all throughout the gospel, all throughout Paul's letters, Scripture says that Jesus is our Savior, absolutely. But he must be our Lord as well. Even the name, the name Jesus itself means that he will save his people from their sins. And we could, we could spend so much time on this subject. But I want to just look at some verses real quick here. Remember what the angel said to the, to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 regarding Jesus' birth? For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, okay? Who is Christ the Lord? All throughout Time and time again, all throughout the Gospels, all throughout the Epistles, Jesus is both Savior and Lord. He's both. We usually focus on Jesus being our Savior, but not so, so much as, well, do I have to give him my life? Yes. He is our Lord. The Greek word commonly uh, translated there is karios, meaning he's our master. He is supreme in authority. And this, this is one of these Romans roads verses where we, we stem all of this, you know, the, the gospel, the how we proclaim the gospel to other people is Romans 10, Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, we will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. Both. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. And a lot of times, whenever we're trying to connect the dots for people who believe, hey, I, I know Jesus is a person. We have to help people answer that question. Who do you say that he is? in your life. Whenever he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me, he's not saying that you just check off a box, oh, I believe he existed. No. If we, if we confess, if we believe, if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, he's my Lord, that whenever it says in the Gospels that we're supposed to Deny ourselves, pick up our own cross, and then what? Follow him. It's not a, 
okay, well, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to check off some boxes, but I'm going to be over here, Lord. No. If you call him Lord, you have to follow. You have to follow after him. He is our Savior, absolutely. He, he set his people free. He, he, he saves us from our sins. What does 1 John 1, 9 says? If we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. He is our Savior, absolutely. He, he is also our Lord. Who do you say that he is? How do we point people and connect the dots? He is our Savior and our Lord. He's both. Look at what the Romans 10 says in the Amplified Version. It says, because if you acknowledge and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and look what it has in the brackets here, recognizing his power, authority, and majesty as God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes in Christ as Savior, there it is again, resulting in his justification, that is, being made righteous, being freed of the guilt of sin, and made acceptable to God. And with the mouth, he acknowledges and confesses his faith openly, resulting in and confirming his salvation. That's a mouthful, but it gives us the extra details. We confess with our mouth. We believe in our heart. He is Savior, and he is also Lord. To deny ourselves, to pick up our own cross, and follow after him. Who do you say that he is, church? Again, a lot of times, us preachers, we're preaching to the choir when we know I've, I've accepted Jesus in my heart, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But I believe even today that God is stirring someone up that says, maybe I've, I have accepted the fact that he's the Savior, but I've never said, Jesus, you are my Lord. I follow after you. I lay my life down, and I follow after you. Confess my sins, God, forgive me. I confess with my mouth, you are Lord. And I believe in your heart that you did what you said that you were going to do. You died for me, for my sins, and on the third day, you rose again. So church, who do we say that he is? I want you to look at this video with me. Who is Jesus? He's the Savior. Not only does he bring salvation, he is salvation. His name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But he's also the anointed one. He is the Christ. He's anointed as prophet because he comes to declare the truth of God. He's anointed as priest because he comes to offer himself as a sacrifice to God. He's anointed as king as he comes to conquer sin and darkness and reign supremely and eternally, not only as king of the Jews, but as king of kings and lord of lords. Who is Jesus, you ask? Central in human history, 
central for all of eternity. This is Jesus. Who do we say that he is today, church? He is the Savior, and he is our Lord. And we have plenty of time, I know. We'll let you out pretty, pretty early. But I want you guys to have just this mo few moments. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me just this morning? And before we move on, this is the good news. This is it. This is the gospel, that he is our savior. But he's also, if we say yes to him, he has, he's our Lord as well. Who do you say that he is? This morning you may say, I've, I have never said yes to Jesus. I've never accepted him in my heart, in my life. There is no other way, church. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There's no other way, church. We can't do enough good things to merit God's favor. We can't do enough good things. We can't sing enough songs. We can't pray enough prayers. We can't do enough as far as works. It's not how... It's not how it works. It's not by works so that any, any man may boast. But it is the gift of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve the second chance that we got. But God looked upon the world and he said, I love them and I want to provide the way. So he sent Jesus to provide the way where there was no other way to give us the complete perfect sacrifice on the cross when he said it is finished and the curtain tore from top to bottom we have access through him to the father but only if we say yes to him if we confess our sins he is faithful Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us to say we are in right standing with God and to cleanse us, to give us that new birth. We are new creations in Christ. The old has gone away. Behold, the new has come. He is our Savior. He is also our Lord. When you say yes to Him, you say, my, my old life, that's gone. I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to serve Him. Some of you might say, I've, I've just been stalling. I've, I've not made this decision in my life, and I need to. Maybe you've heard this time and time again, but maybe for the first time, you say, I'm, I'm going to not look at the pressure. I'm not going to look at anyone else. I'm going to decide for myself. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. Or maybe you've, you've walked away from him, and it's time to come back home. It's time to come back to him. He is our Lord and our Savior. There's no other way, church. So with eyes closed and, and heads bowed, just, I just want to give this, this invitation. You say, Pastor Joe, for the first time, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to let him in. 
to invite him into my heart for the first time. That's, that's you. No one else looking around. Just, just between you and God. Would you raise a hand and say yes and say yes to him? Thank you, sir. I see that. God bless you. There's no other name than the name of Jesus. There's no other way except through Jesus. Church, would you just repeat this prayer after me again? It's not a magic prayer, but it's a condition of our heart. That we say, I'm saying yes to him. I'm asking for forgiveness. Would you repeat this prayer after me, church? We'll have everyone do it. Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross. The penalty I deserved. Lord, would you forgive me for my sins? I accept you into my heart. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that you rose from the dead. Save me. Set me free. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise this morning. Now, church, here's the call for you. We have some time. We know Jesus is our Savior. Absolutely. Because he set someone free this morning. He is also our Lord. It's time for us to, to recognize. Sometimes there's things in the scriptures that we don't like. There's things in the scriptures that we have to sacrifice. But it's time for us to recognize the Lordship of Christ, that he is over us. I submit my life to him. For when I am weak, he is strong. It's time for us to recognize who Jesus is, for us to confidently declare when somebody asks us, who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? He's my Savior, and he's my Lord. And I serve him, and I'm going to make his name known. Because there's a lost and dying world out there that needs to answer the question, who is Jesus? Point people to him. Would you stand with me this morning? The worship team's going to sing us this, this song that, that he is the very breath in our lungs, that his presence is what sustains us. Great are you, Lord. I challenge you, church. Before you leave, take some time at this altar. And those that responded to the call of salvation, I invite you to come forward and take some time to pray. Let's pray with you. Today, again, recognize He is our Savior and He is our Lord. I invite you to come up as we sing this song and to again declare who He is. Who do you say that He is this morning? Jesus, today I pray for this congregation. I pray you give us confidence. God, give us courage. Give us zeal to declare who you are. That we confess with our mouth, you are Lord. You are Master. 
We give all way to you. Today we declare who you are so that when somebody asks us, we know who do I say that Jesus is? He is the Christ. He is my Lord and my Savior. Lord, today, this church, I pray that we would declare it in our hearts that before we leave this place, we would take that moment to say, God, I thank you for who you are. And Lord Jesus, I serve you. So come forward, church. Let's spend some time in prayer. Let's hear his voice again this morning.